people think little girls should be seen and not heard, but I think... Oh, bondage! Up yours! Welcome. 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 Welcome to the Dominasty Podcast. I'm Mistress Blair, and I'm sitting beside my lovely, nasty, and insightful co-host. Hi, folks. I'm Mistress Velvet, and this is our podcast. We're aiming to include all LGBTQ and POC while getting into the nitty-gritty of kink, sexual education, sex work, feminine empowerment, and mental health in our industry. Today, we are going to explore the different varieties of sex work, our experiences in sex work, some assumptions people make about our careers, and coming out. We have a set of questions addressing topics that we and our listeners are curious about. And our first question is, what exactly is sex work? In my opinion, sex work is an umbrella term for many different workers in an industry of vulnerability, sensuality, and intimacy that is offered in exchange for money. Right. So there's a lot of categories that fall under sex work um, and some that just kind of gravitate around it. So some of these include escorting, (gasps) prostitution and brothel work more explicitly. And by many accounts, this is considered the oldest profession, Mm -hmm. maybe followed by grifting. But sex work has been around since the dawn of civilization. Ooh, yeah, it has. But this day and age, we also have things like porn, OnlyFans, and other digital mediums. This might also include camming. We've got sugaring. Daddy, give me some money. And doming. Ow! Which, of course, both of your hosts today fall under. There's also stripping, dancing, maybe some peep shows. Massage parlors with happy endings. Intentional orgasms. Phone sex operators. And there are a few more things that we consider as part of the industry, but they are more sensual typically than sexual. And those can include go-go dancing, burlesque, drag, and maybe even some belly dancing. So all of these definitely have an air of sexuality and are amazing entertainers. However, they might not personally identify themselves as sex workers. Mm-hmm. Um as would some people who might be working more on the therapeutic side of things, such as those people that are doing intentional orgasm. Yes. Those could even be registered sex therapists that are completely hands-off. Yeah, and for the record, intentional orgasms basically involve somebody else guiding you through a sensual meditative experience and physically, you know, getting you off, um with their own hands. Now, it's my understanding there are some cases where people focus on the meditative aspects and things like Tantra to be able to actually hands-off bring these people to have their own intentional orgasms, and that kind of work often falls under the sex therapy. So once again, we can fall on either side of that. Yes, we can. And often I think the gray area does stay gray for some people, and that is totally okay. Um, But for me, there is a perceivable gray area that is not okay. 
And that area is the lack of real data around human sex trafficking and actual sex work in America. So, Velvet, can you tell us some statistics about this, please? I'm dying to know. Yeah, so this is huge in our industry because there's a lot of conflation that leads people to believe that human trafficking and sex work are almost synonymous. And in reality, we can't get very definitive stats due to the gray areas of legality that we face and how many people are willing to happily come forward. Mm -hmm. But most research says that over 80% of sex work is consensual sex work versus that human trafficking, which in some cases can include people that are just underage in getting involved or a group of people that are actually being trafficked. This is definitively lower than 20% likely lower than 10% of the industry is actually trafficking. However, due to our Jeffrey Epstein's of the world, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, we face a lot of laws that similarly do not see discretion. And we're going to go through some of that stuff in our future episodes, Mm -hmm. like SESTA and how that's changed the way that the sex industry operates. Yeah specifically with safety things, with background checks and stuff like that, software that sex workers previously had and no longer are able to use. So now we're traveling back in time, essentially, to to keep working. Yeah, it's astonishing in my career (laughs) to see us take that turn. How did you start your career in sex work? Well, I moved to New York rather young, and I was living in Brooklyn, and in 2009, I met another wild young lady who I was seeing at the time, and kind of introduced me to a lot of the suspension parties and a little bit more of the BDSM underworld of New York City, and I was captivated. I am naturally very curious and uh, went down a couple too many fat life holes. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I found myself in the following months also thinking about the cost of my college education and what I had at my disposal. And to me, there wasn't a huge difference between all of the people I saw in school that were tall and beautiful and got money doing a modeling gig on the side, um, they were using what they had. Mm-hmm. And I knew I had a skill set. <laughs> and <You did. laughs> I was interested in starting to really get into those things, um, even in my personal life. And then I decided um, at 19 to fully dive in yeah fully dive in so what was the situation when you first started like what was that first moment when you're like I'm doing this now like for real it's kind of wild because I definitely um in my time as a baby dom Mm -hmm. right I saw some people and and kind of 
got my head around it and I was a very different character at that time Mm -hmm. um what I was comfortable in terms of diving in was a little bit riskier and wild Mm -hmm. but I found myself also at one point uh at a event called Wicked Fair okay and it is hosted in a hotel basically that gets overrun by a bunch of steampunk kinkster bdsm weirdos (laughs) uh, myself included and when i found myself publicly doming and do i remember something about waffles in this situation oh my goodness well that's that is a yeah that is a question there's a lot that happened on that weekend but i found myself you know both partner doming with with my partner at the time but also just really stepping into the role Mm. um and i was enjoying it then and yes uh, at some point i had a sub feed me waffles with weed butter on them that was not expected (laughs) it's not a special request but it was appreciated um and i started out you know being able to do that and feeling that that financial freedom and that exploration So I know it's a little bit more recent in terms of history, but how did you get involved in sex work? I started by doing what we know as sugaring. I went to find a sugar daddy and I got what I wanted. And then I soon realized that sugaring was not really a reliable thing for me to do. I mean, it's literally based on a relationship with another human being. And we know those aren't very reliable, at least for me in this stage of my life. So I was getting like really emotionally involved more than I wanted to be. And when you're on the search for a sugar daddy, it's really easy to find the gray area of escorting because you're like dating a bunch of maybe not a bunch, but a few more than one potential sugar daddy. And usually there is an exchange of value while you're dating them. And I that just wasn't for me. So I'm actually making some music about that whole situation, realizing that I'm going from wanting to be a sh- wanting to find a sugar daddy to wanting to be daddy or Amazing. becoming daddy. So, you know? what are you calling that music? Is there a collection? Oh, it is a collection. It's a an EP with five songs. It's called Sugar Baby Songs. It's gonna have a complimentary steamy album called Sugar Baby Sounds. So look out for those here. I think I'm going to release around my birthday. Anyways, flashback to this time last year, because we know that I haven't been doing this terribly long. Um, And I'm in startup land with my yoga app. My developer keeps drawing out the launch date. I'm going into debt, spending my life savings. (laughs) I'm really starting to feel stressed out about my fucking money situation. Yeah, because it was supposed to have been done and produce money at this point last year. And a few months before that, I was on a Tinder date with this fuck boy. And we went to this little river spot to get in some water. And I met this girl by the river. And she ended up being one of my close friends and telling me that she was an escort. And when I was feeling very stressed out about the money situation, she goes, oh, well, like, you'd probably be really good at being a professional dominatrix. And I was like, hmm, I didn't even know that one could be a professional dominatrix. Yeah, they don't teach that one in school. (laughs) No, they don't. They really, really don't. So 
I took a moment to think about it and like see what that would really mean for me. And I'm reflecting on my life and I realized that I have been like whimsically set up with a certain skill set, you know, that skill set that you found out about too. I'd like been training horses for 10 years, rock climbed, you know, using the ropes. And then I realized that almost every guy that I had been with, like tried to be the dominant alpha for me, but really low key, high key wanted to be dominated by me. And then I put all that together and I was like, oh, I, I am switchy. But I'm, I'm much more switchy than I thought that I was. So I decided to do the dominatrix thing. And there was one last thing keeping me from getting into it, and that was I needed a space to practice out of. Um, Denver's not quite, you know, the infrastructure of the dungeons here, not quite the same as New York City. That's true. Um, and even though RIP, a lot of my favorite spaces, I, I think, are long gone in New York, mm -hmm. I would still say it's not something most of us have the luxury of doing out of our house. Correct. And even if we do, if people do have them in their houses, they're normally not for professional use. They're for personal type of situations. I don't know, maybe not. Occasional rentals, but generally, yes. And I was looking to do this, you know, closer to full-time or my version of full-time. So I'm thinking about it. I pleaded to the energy and God and whatever is out there in the universe. I'm like, if I'm supposed to do this, like, please make it easy because I, this is the last thing. I don't really know how to go about finding where to work out of. And like three days later, another mistress in Denver shot me a DM on Twitter and was like, Hey, you want to hang out? Maybe be friends. And we went on a little hike. We microdosed on some mushrooms and she offered me a fully equipped dungeon to use at a very reasonable price. And I was like, fabulous. Sign noted. Guess I'm <laughs> a dominatrix now. So that's how I got started. There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. I said, certified free. Seven days a week. Wet ass pussy. Make that pullout game weak. So we are both professional doms, and we get a lot of questions about what we do. So many questions. I'm sure even you folks out here have some questions for us. Mm -hmm. On top of the questions, we also get assumptions. And one of those assumptions is that we're always in danger. And I don't really get that. I'm like, I, I work in a dungeon full of tools, full of weapons. There are some knives around, there are whips, there's uh, electronic tasers, like, we've got all the things. Absolutely. I can't imagine how many times I've been asked this question, but I know it's a lot. And the question for sure comes from friends and loved ones of, mm -hmm. are you putting yourself in danger and harm's way by doing this work? And for me, I've had to genuinely say I felt more scared and more sexually harassed or upset on Tinder dates mm -hmm. um, from people that make other assumptions mm -hmm. than I have in the dungeon for sure. You know, there are yeah. levels of safety protocols that we go through and take 
for ourselves. But additionally, there is an expectation of respect, some nice deposits, and some other things we can go into in future episodes as well about how you, uh, if you are a sex worker out here listening, um, can, and as an industry as a whole, keep yourself a little bit more secure. Yeah, and I think a lot of people feel like they're going to be liars, like people that are intentionally trying to manipulate you to come in like murder you or something because you're a dominatrix or because you're an escort or whatever. And that's just not true, really. I I mean, I'm alive. I'm here. I've not experienced this. I also have friends that know my location. I work in a dungeon that five or six other doms use as well, and we share the same scheduler. So they know when I'm there. They know when I'm supposed to be gone. It's it's very safe. Right. And even though we might not have all of the tools that I've used in the past to both communicate these things and to get free background checks or otherwise, it is absolutely a, a different situation than people may expect. Just because that there is money in play, some people do believe that there is an assumption that something is owed, um, especially as doms, when we have a hard no penetration rule that is something that i have not had an issue with so another assumption that pops up all of the time is that sex workers party like non-stop like you're just always partying with your pimps and your hoes and doing all doing cocaine all the time like no i mean girl i'm a little too old for that <laughs> <laughs> But also, sure, there might be aspects that, and there's a ton of people out here who are enjoying their youth or whatever this provides for them. Mm-hmm. However, I know just as many people who are hardworking moms that are just doing the work and coming home. Totally. Many of us seem to have the work scene and other scenes of life separate or intentionally intertwined, I think. Um, Also, I think that partying is, as many other things are, really defined on a spectrum of experience and expectation. To that extent, a majority of sex workers that I know are those that enjoy a little alcohol, a little weed, maybe some hallucinogenics here and there for fun, but it's not like a weekly thing to be losing your fucking face. Like, we're not blacking out. We're probably actually hydrating and putting self-care, both emotional and physical, at the top of the priority list. And people party in general. Mm -hmm. This is not specific of our industry. This goes with the same stigma of what we've seen in a documentary about prostitution in Thailand, maybe, where people are partying to forget the situation they're in. But this is very different when you once again look into the world of consensual sex work not someone who felt that they were forced or stuck in that position Mm -hmm. the other question that comes up a lot is about our clients and like what type of people they are are they just totally fucked up that they want to be in the dungeon and be abused by some very beautiful talented women like that has to be a thing right no I mean we definitely (laughs) are beautiful women I will go for that however you know they're not all degenerates here you know we all have 
a lot of things to unpack and oftentimes the dungeon is a very safe place to do that now in various different levels of sex work too there are parts that people find very therapeutic and allow them to work through these things hopefully so they might not do it in the case that it would be unsafe to do with their partner Mm -hmm. um, or something that they wouldn't feel accepted by trying to talk to the people close to them about so it gives them a lot of exploration in those places and believe me everyone's got a little kink even if it's vanilla Mm Speaking of which, take a visit to Denver's kinkiest boutique, Vanilla Kink. They're providing unique lingerie, handcrafted kink gear, and body-safe toys for all adults. The stuff is so quality. The people are so kind and open. And if you have any questions, they'll be there to provide some support while you're shopping. And it's such a cute place, so definitely go check it out. You let me violate you. You let me desecrate you You let me penetrate you We have a range of, of clients. I've had men, women, people of all sexual orientation who have joined in on the fun. Mm-hmm. So this last assumption or question is, is, I think, my favorite. And... It's my favorite because my grandmother recently asked it to me when I came out to her about a month ago. And she straight up asked me, have you lost respect for yourself? Ooh, Lord. No, I have not, grandmother. In fact, my respect is at an all-time high. Absolutely. I mean, so that... Is, is a tough one, and this is, you know, part of the, the tricky aspects of coming out to people in the first place that we can get into, but uh, I've definitely had this. I mean, my grandmother also asked me when I'm going to pop a child out regularly, <laughs> so that one's tricky, but yeah. I've had partners even suggest that because, you know, I'm bearing my flesh, or you know, even if it was nude modeling mm-hmm. for money or or the doming, that I was in some way degrading myself, and I've never felt that way. I've helped contribute to a number of art pieces, and I feel very respected as well, and make sure that my submissives know how to do that properly. Physically and financially Absolutely. That is a key point there, financially, because you get to set your own value for your time when you're in the industry. I'm most of us do and a lot of power comes with that especially in this world of minimum wage being like far below the living wage ability in this country absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah minimum wage is not even a living wage here so when we look at our work it actually brings a lot of power Mm -hmm. i have a question that i think a lot of people um, wonder about, especially in the industry too, um, it can be a really hard thing to navigate and that is how to come out to people. What people do you come out to? How do you make that decision like, oh, I'm ready to tell them about my work. Um, I think they're, they'll be receptive of it. Like, What goes on in your brain when that happens? This might be one of the scarier parts when I'm in a relationship especially. Um, I used to take 
months and months to tell my partners, even if I wasn't actively doming because it's been almost a decade of the work on and off and I found myself very nervous about what they were going to think and how all of a sudden a perception would be changed. There are still a number of family members to this day that don't know about the work that I do. And when it comes to friends, is there like a certain amount of time that goes by where you're like, okay, I'm ready to tell them or are your friends cool enough that you tell them like right off the bat? I personally have made that judgment call on a case-by-case basis. Um, But obviously the inner circle all knows Mm -hmm. what I get up to. (laughs) What about you, Blair? For me, I love to just be all upfront and honest. And if people in my life can't deal with that, then I'm just like, guess you're not in my life anymore. (laughs) Sorry. Um, I came out to my mom a month ago about my profession and about being bisexual. And... That was very interesting. She thought that I was being an escort, so this was like a little bit a nicer blow. <laughs> a little a little flogging rather than a bull whipping, you know? <laughs> oh, yes. Well, I would say that I see myself, you know, getting less and less ashamed about it. You know, I personally have no qualms about the work I do, yeah. and so... I hope that those closest to me can handle that as well. And I Mm -hmm. have less and less time between telling those that I'm dating at this point what the sitch is. I also think that we are experiencing something very different than a lot of people. And that is that we don't really care if people find out about what we do for the most part. Um, There are a lot of women and men in this industry who never want anybody in their family to find out that they are doing the work that they're doing. And so that brings on a whole different set of circumstances of, am I going to tell this person because, you know, maybe I don't know them. Will they use this information against me? Um, And that's a judgment call that you have to just feel out intuitively, I think. And a great further cause for you guys getting a great education on what we really do as well as some decriminalization we can hope for in the future Mm -hmm. but those kind of situations can sometimes be even harder than coming out about your sexuality Uh, both of my grandmothers know that i'm bisexual as well and yet they are not so aware about what i do in the dark (laughs) better kept that way Um, Velvet, I want to know how you came up with this name, um, how it resonates within you. I do want to let our listeners know that uh, Velvet has not always been Mistress Velvet. She's been some other things, too. And that this notion of rebranding your identity um, is a thing that happens quite frequently in the industry. Well, this definitely is a somewhat newer uh, alias an alias and, and a name, right, can have a lot of power. A number of people, whether they're transitioning in their life or they've experienced just a disconnect with who that person is or want to explore a little bit less dangerous position of being considered someone else for a night, it creates a lot of excitement. And for me, when I was a baby dom, I had a different name and then 
I grew into some other things as well. What's a baby dom? So generally in the first year or so, which mine was very much baptism by fire, (laughs) (laughs) um, you are considered a baby of whatever you're doing, kind of your in training, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And um, I was a baby dom in a very different alias that I don't feel suits me anymore. Yeah. I'm uh, still a baby dom. I'm I'm approaching the one year mark here. Woo! Get this girl a chip. Oh, we're going to have to party for my, my little baby dom graduation. We'll have a um, special episode for that one, yes, guys. Yes, we will. It's coming up in November, the end of November. So, very exciting. <laughs> both, both that young and that old blood here. Yes. Now, did you have a different name? I did not. Um, I'm keeping my name for a while. I really like Mistress Blair. Um, I'm a little bit witchy and I feel like Blair really strikes you with the Blair Witch Projects and I wanted to really feel that energy um, when I entered the dungeon because when I'm in there working it's not just like oh I'm gonna go beat up some motherfuckers like I'm going in there to facilitate you know this healing through whatever means. Um, Oh, I just got shivers. (laughs) I have a lot of other identities in my personal life with art and things, so I'm just going to stick with one for a while now. (laughs) Yeah, so in terms of velvet, there's a couple of ways that I've come to reach this place, you know, and and I'm definitely not alone in that there's a lot of people that have worked through different aliases. Um, There is a dom who I think has put out some really great literature Uh, especially for those just entering the kink world. And she used to go by Mistress Couple um, due to really looking at therapeutic side of things or the interaction between two people. Mm. Um, And that served her for a really long time. But some people also transition to this feeling that maybe there's too much of a space in between who I am as a person outside of the dungeon and Mm. who I am there. So I've known a number of doms who have actually come to use their given name in both spaces Mm -hmm. um and for me velvet did meet those needs it really is a material um that i really enjoy it's luxurious Mm -hmm. it brings a touch that's very sensual and it also is something that falls between a lot of those friends that do know all of the things i get up to And have made comments about me being very soft and very hard. Uh, Somebody that has the character of, as one of my dear friends says, a dommy mommy. Dommy Um, mommy! (laughs) Which does not mean I'm going to change all of your diapers. No. Mm -hmm. That costs a lot. Mm -hmm. But what it does mean is that for my friends, I may occasionally both take care of them very lovingly and threaten them and threaten to spank them a lot uh it's an hr nightmare in in the workplace for sure um (laughs) thus forth mistress velvet suits all of those needs yeah so between blair and i you'll be experiencing some very witchy and bitchy Mm -hmm. and luxurious Mm -hmm. commentary in the upcoming Mm -hmm. episodes and if you ever become a friend of ours you you know from the get-go that 
whipping, spanking, and maybe some verbal things will be involved at some point because we have fun. Well, at least in everyday conversation. <laughs> Apologies <laughs> yeah. ahead. Yeah. Well, one day I got fucked in the ass. And, <laughs> and then I was like, this isn't for me. <laughs> I actually do like anal. I think it's fun. Like... Oh, it's I literally too. don't enjoy it whatsoever. Really? Personally. Not even like little of, tiny things. I know plenty of lesbians who nothing. Like really? I don't even like my ass licked. That's so interesting. I definitely like it. <laughs> like I do the not I've had plenty of people like literally lick my asshole and I'm just like yeah, I'm actually like kind of ticklish up my entire ass crack too. <laughs> so is it that you don't like the ticklish feeling or it's just not yes. The whole thing is like it's like ticklish and then not being <laughs> the other things okay sorry and thank you recording <laughs> recorded all of that <laughs> just in case we want to the outtake <laughs> anal yeah. is not for everyone it's not it's not you know and it's for people that you wouldn't expect but it is not for everyone i definitely did not expect to enjoy anal. i know plenty of lesbians that love it and you know and here for it. plenty of very straight men that still like their prostate milked yeah also, like, <laughs> I don't like anal unless it's, like, very clean and planned and prepared for. Oh, yeah. Like, I've, I've heard of no situations. No messy situations for me, please. I've heard of, like, hot tub and bathtub Ew. situations in which people didn't think about this. This is why we're also in existence, yeah. so people, like, know that you should douche your asshole. Yes. If you're even considering this. Or, you know, Otherwise, don't you eat will for a day, make sure that no poop take is coming, some like, do something. For a day. Maybe talk to but not the, the day that you're having... very qualified gay men near you that yes. have some experience. Because let me tell yes. you, those two straight people were swimming in shit. Ew. That is so disgusting. <laughs> Sorry, it's true. It's so <laughs> motherfucking disgusting. <laughs> I can't even, like, that. Now I just think of hot I've tubs heard with shit in multiple it. stories. <laughs> so I just had to put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Please, if you're gonna have anal, fucking do something. I mean, I've before. had to tell before when yeah. they've asked for a certain level of pegging and penetration that I'm yeah. like, well, I uh, here's what you need to do to prep for yeah. that. I've had they, they won't do an enema, like they won't, they won't. And I'm like, okay, then I won't peg you yeah. as hard because you might rip some. Yeah. You know, and I'm not cleaning up after that. No. No, I am not. Once again, changing no, diapers is like a thousand minimum. Yeah. Imagine what poop on the floor is like. Oh, fuck that. I actually, <laughs> when I started, I said that I was never going to peg anybody because I, like, just, I don't know. I was like, it's gross. I don't want to deal with, you know, the asshole and whatever. And then I got to it one day and I was like, I've never had more fun in my life. I kind of love it. <laughs> I, I shouldn't agree about this. I know it's still in that very gray area yeah. of things. But folks, uh, I don't. I, I enjoy it. Yeah, it's fun. One last question for this episode, and that is, what are we passionate about? I am passionate about expressing 
my opinions on everyday shenanigans that I find myself in, that I hear about. I just want to be the sounding board, you know, like be out here expressing and sharing what's going on. I love all kinds of art and music and things like that. Um, but my co-host over here, I think, is very research-oriented, and we tend to compliment <laughs> each other very well. <laughs> Absolutely. There's definitely a crossover, but due to many years of experience and uh, my own interests, which often bleed over into the science of things, uh, backing up with research and going into some of the political aspects that affect our everyday lives, especially as sex workers. Those are things that really excite me. Um, I will admit that I am actively participating in Black Lives Matters things, as well as uh, decriminalization work. And we can get very passionate about those things. I think you're going to see a little bit of that in our next episode with a little bit of entry into sex science, especially what we've learned over the past 100 years about the societal taboos and trauma that we experience in, in this work and what is considered normal, though we might know that based on research, it isn't, and so much more. And then on future episodes, be prepared to hear from some other voices mm -hmm. as well. We've got some beautiful people to hear from. And for those of you tuning in, thank you. Please feel free to leave a review, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, or otherwise. And that was the Dominasty podcast for today. The darkness within us honors the darkness within you. Namanasty. Namanasty.